This week on the Drag Team Podcast, we're joined by the voice of the NHRA, Mr. Brian Loans, to talk about radio racing, NHRA racing, recent controversies with the NHRA, and a whole lot more. So, hold those belts tight. Get ready to put in the beams. The Drag Zine Podcast starts now. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of the Drag Zine Podcast. I'm your host, Senior Associate Editor Brian Wagner. This week on the show, Mr. Brian Loans joins us, and anytime Loans comes on the show, you know it's going to be huge. And he drops some knowledge bombs, gives expert analysis, and drops some facts and figures that will turn your brain literally inside out. So, uh, without further ado, let's get this drag racing party started. All right, my guest this week on the Dragzine podcast is loved by the greasers, the pinheads, everybody else. He's an all-around righteous dude, Mr. Brian Loans. What's going on, Brian? <laughs> How you doing, man? That's a great intro. That's oh, yeah, great. definitely. No, man. Good to talk to you. Good to talk to you as well. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, we were talking about the pre-show. It's been kind of a wild year, and, you know, let's let's just jump right into the insanity of this past weekend that, you know, I got to witness from the uh, comfort of my shop, and you were they're knee deep in it the uh the shakedown man what about that insanity yeah it was awesome uh, it was a great race tyler and uh jimmy and the whole crew did a did an amazing job i mean we um obviously we lost the day on friday because the rain just came in and just soaked the place to death uh but they recovered and i'm sure we lost thursday right yeah we lost thursday and then we raced friday saturday and ended up finishing on sunday morning um it, it was a great event and obviously the air that came in behind that weather was phenomenal to the point of being almost scary i mean we were three four hundred feet below sea level at night and uh, it got very cold so the reason we didn't finish on saturday night is uh two two real reasons the big one was the it just got so cold and the dew started coming out of the air so um but we set records in effect almost every single category there's a couple that remained uh, unscathed like ldr records survived and i think uh limited 235 records survived but really other than that um it was just destruction up and down for records stevie going 3.50 uh let's see he went 3.508 and then he went way down what a 50 with a three or something like that either way um it was insane and that side by side he had with david reese was uh, well, probably one of the more memorable runs I've ever seen in my life, let alone uh, just at that event. Yeah, like, you know, being on the back end, I was kind of seeing everything unflow on, on the on the flow racing side of things, watching, you know, the weather roll in and kind of us game, our game plan. And, you know, they asked, do you think they're going to get this event? And I'm like, yeah, they're going to get this event in. And when they get this track whipped in the shape, you're going to see some scary stuff. And I mean, it literally, it played out, you know, it's like in the article that I, I wrote about it, that these records and all this was done and these cats only had two qualifying hits at the track. <laughs> yeah. And it really the, you know, it was funny to, wasn't funny. It was just interesting to watch like the top sportsman cars struggled uh, for a lot of the weekend. And by the time we got to the finals, obviously people had kind of figured it out, but you know, the track was so tight and they, and they were obviously grooming this thing for big tire and small tire cars, but the big power pro mods loved it. We saw incredible runs made by the, the, the pro modified cars, but the top sportsman cars, you know, a lot of those racers aren't used to that level of prep. And then maybe, and I'm not saying this to be negative toward them, but they're not used to going and making wholesale suspension changes or wholesale tune-up changes. They're used to getting to a racetrack and getting their stuff dialed in per se, not making, you know, major league changes. So we did see the top sportsman cars rattle the tires a lot, um, but we did see the big tire pro mods fly. And it really is a testament to the hard work that they put on the track. I mean, the, uh, the rain, the amount of scraping, you know, they physically scraped the whole thing down to concrete um, on Friday morning with the, uh, with the Bobcat and then built it back up again. Took a while, but the results uh, certainly showed themselves. Oh yeah, you know, saw I saw that firsthand. You know, when they still had the shakedown up at Norwalk, and the one year we actually got it in, where it was the exact same scenario. Weather came through, reprepped the track, and there's top sportsman guys shaking the wheel tubs out of the cars because they're just, again, they're not used to that much rip. And then the pro mod guys are freaking out. They're like, "We need more wheel speed. We just keep turning up. Is, is that what we do? We've never raced these conditions before." You know, they yeah, <laughs> it just it just was amazing. And, and talking to Stevie, you know, Stevie um, told me flat out that he, they were trying to go down in the forties. They were trying to go a forty nine or a forty eight, and the track was so good that they just they were. 
it was pulling the motor down so hard that it was actually kind of putting them behind early on and the car never really caught itself. So um, just amazing stuff. And they were throwing pretty much everything they had at it. And the track was still saying, you know, come on, come on back with more of this. And um, the fact that you saw him run those fifties in, in succession, we saw, you know, we saw guys like uh, Louis DeLeon from fuel tech making career best runs on basically every pass. We saw career best, out of basically everybody, even those people that didn't set a record had personal bests and personal records. So it, um, and as you said, it was with two qualifying sessions, not with uh, 15 or 20, which, hey man, if the race, the race format is the race format, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to take anything away from anybody else's events like that. But at the same time, um, when you can do it with only the two shots, it's just astonishing. Yeah. Yeah. I I fear for, engine builders lives if those guys would have been given more shots because they'd have been just continually cranking it up until there was rotating assembly parts going into low orbit plain and simple oh yeah i mean and you, you look at an engine you, know, you look at the engines like david reese's car the uh the you know it is a small block by the rules if not maybe by normal people's definition um you know that's an engine that's that's probably turning eleven thousand or more rpm i know stevie turns his over 10 grand i mean it's it's craziness. And then we look at what's happening in categories like X275 and others. And like you said, you know, it gives everybody an opportunity to really shine when you have those conditions. And um, whether you're an engine builder or a chassis builder or a tuner, um, everybody got to kind of, um, you know, show up with their Sunday best on and just let this stuff be amazing to watch. Yeah. Yeah. That race between Stevie and Reese, I mean, holy smokes, that was like, that had like you know that to me it reminded me of like when Brock Lesnar had his rematch with Frank Mir. You're just like something is gonna happen here because you got two angry dudes. They're gonna go at it. This is gonna be fun. And I mean, honestly, it really didn't disappoint at all. Yeah, well, that's to me was the maybe the most amazing part is um, one. It's one fall through by any of those guys, and you have somebody that just whiffed the tires, and somebody goes fast, or you had all night to think about it because we had to sit on it. And the fact that it happened because you know the way the ladder was set up, um, they had to get to the semis to race each other, and you know how this goes, like everything's so unpredictable. The fact that they both won their way to the semis, and then we had to wait overnight to see it, also added an, an element of uh, intrigue to the whole thing. But um, it's so very rarely that one side-by-side matchup like that lives up to the hype. You know, so very rarely do you actually see both cars do what happened out there, a 50 versus a 52 in terms of all-out performance that it was, uh, yeah, it was very, very special. It was a, that was a, that was a year, decade highlight moment. Yeah. And not to mention again, you know, Reese, the brand new package with that little angry small block and that thing's, there's a lot of people from the the chatter I saw that are real quick going, hey, you know, why is he getting weight breaks? They're already they're already kind of not happy about that uh, that what the thing's doing in, in short order. Yeah, you know, they took what, fifty pounds off it. Um, I guess they took fifty pounds off it before the race. Um, and and yeah, it's, it's really hard. Obviously, you know, part of the reason that the class is so popular is because of the fact that everybody has something to complain about at all times and. Um, for better or worse, you know, that's just one of those things. So Stevie, I believe they put weight on Stevie's combination. Uh, Reese has obviously lost some and Marcus Bird wasn't there. And uh, Marcus Bird obviously picks the spots of that car. He will be at Sweet 16. And so uh, the fact that Bird wasn't there was probably a good thing in terms of what we've seen out of that car's potential. Obviously, we've seen that car run in the bottom half of the 50s. So uh, if Bert finds his way down to a 50 or better, then you're going to see the nitrous cars get weight. And it's also to me hard. It's hard in the fact that you got one guy with that combination right now in Reese, and I'm sure there will be more coming soon, but whereas, uh, you know, screw blown heavy, there's a lot more guys running that. So when you make a weight adjustment on the screw blown heavy side, you're affecting a whole group of people. And when you do it with that screw blown small block, it's, it's effectively one, (laughs) you know, well, yeah, then then you don't want it to turn into, you know, the, the, the Pro Charger cloning operation, you know, where that, you know, all of a sudden you've got a, a gajillion little, you know, small blocks roaming about or, you know, it's there's a lot of different ways it could go. But again, that it kind of shows that, with that again, you know, there wasn't a Pro Charge Proline car that deep in the race. So, again, you know, what's is that combo falling behind now? Who knows? It's it's getting very interesting in a hurry. Yeah, it's um, to me, it's it's always. It's so difficult when you look at the number of factors that go into making the decisions in terms of uh, weight changes and stuff like that, because 
you know, I'm not saying they're doing this, but you know, if you're a savvy racer and you feel as though you're getting, you're getting close to where you can be, but maybe not quite there uh, in terms of all of performance, why would you try to blow yourself up? Why wouldn't you hang there and go give somebody a reason to try to gather the field back up? You know what I mean? And again, I'm not saying they're doing that on purpose, um, but uh, you know, it was strange to me that we didn't see a pro charge car go further than they did or even run faster than they did. And obviously I'm not a tuner, I'm not a crew chief, nor am I a driver, but you know, you watch enough of this stuff and you kind of look at, look at trends. I was expecting Rivenbark to be, uh, to be deeper into the program than they got. Yeah. That, that's one of the things I noticed. I'm like, that's what, you know, these pro charge cars all of a sudden hit this strange plateau. I wonder why, Yeah. you know, yeah. Yep. It, very, very interesting. And then speaking of just letting it all hang out, you know, poor John Sears and X two seventy five is just turned into, I, I, it's not a disaster. It's just like, how, how do you deal with what happened this past weekend as a rules maker? Yeah, that's uh it's a, I'm not going to say it's an impossible situation, but it's, I would say it's verging on the impossible and it is clearly, and it is, to the credit of the people that race in the category, to the credit of the people that they have racing with them, you're seeing the smartest people in drag racing. You're seeing incredible equipment. And again, you put it in this, you put it in this arena with these atmospheric and racetrack conditions, and this is what you get. And, you know, to me, it's almost where, you know, the NHRA of course has what they call mine shaft races where they, they make, you know, you're not going to get hit with as much horsepower or hit with a factor. If, if we're going to declare this a mine shaft race where these are extraordinary conditions that if you're in a category that has horsepower factoring, it's going to change the way you're looked at. I almost feel as though that is an important part of something that could be considered in a category like X275, where you take an event like we just saw that has these literally incredible conditions that you're going to get once every two years, maybe once every five years and say, you know what? I'm not making rules changes based on 500 foot below sea level air in a racetrack that is arguably the greatest surface on the planet. I, I just, I feel like there are times where we have to look around and go, this was a one-off anomaly. Now, if it happens two races in a row, now we get an argument, but if you're going to try to make a rules change based on never going to see again in the next who knows when and a racing surface that is the exception and not the rule i think that makes things even harder yeah yeah you can't you can't go in heavy-handed based on you know what the combo potentially could do yes there's going to be that potential there but like you said it's the outlier so you can't really punish upon that but it's definitely something where it's got to be you know reeled in a little bit i think the problem's going to be to do it right you're going to have to make a whole lot of people mad and hurt some feelings which is not fun to do at all no it isn't and uh you know i give john a lot of credit because he's had to make a lot of tough decisions over the years and and uh you know he seems to be facing another one and it's like you know you always have that you always have the 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 spillway if you will to an ultra street category much like you know radio versus the world is as the dam is broken out at Pro 275 for obvious reasons. Um, so you always have that option for racers that don't feel like they, they can or want to invest at the level that they're racing at. But at some point you end up with a class where so few people can compete at the level that they're trying to compete at that you end up flaming the thing out. So yeah, he has uh, walked a tightrope on that for a very long time. I, I do not envy his position. I respect everything that he's done to keep that thing going and to keep the thing kind of where it is and it's just like you said i mean you, you look at their qualifying sheets and the resist the run data from this weekend and it's like what do we do here yeah because you got x275 cars that could have made the field and been competitive in limited drag radio absolutely it's insane but you're right yes <laughs> like yeah I, I was looking at those numbers i'm like these guys could have made into ldr and pretty much given everybody all they wanted except for crazy horse yeah, I mean, Manny's, Manny, you know, Manny's X-Star is now basically a tenth off the record yeah. of, of LDR. That's, That's insane. Yeah. I mean, it, it, like you said, it's to me, the drag racing geek in me just looks at this in awe of like, that is so awesome. That these guys have sharpened these combinations to this point that they're that brutally dangerous in the right conditions. Now, you throw them in the heat of the summer in July in, you know, middle of nowhere, Alabama, are they going to do that? No, but you know you still have to to keep them to keep them close. Yes. Yeah. 
and like you know, you mentioned Pro Two Seventy Five. There's another category that you know it it it's taken off because of radial versus the world getting too crazy, and it you know that class has humbled a lot of people in a hurry as well. Yeah, and you know, to me, it's you, you got a situation here where um, you know to, when somebody does run three forty nine in radial versus the world, and whether that happens at Sweet Sixteen or whether it happens at uh, World Street Nationals, I believe it happens before the end of this year. Um, that is a psychological break for a lot of people in terms of if you have a if you have a radio versus world car that can run low 360s, high 50s, you still feel like you're in the game right now. But when somebody and maybe does it twice at the same event goes in the 40s, that then you get a problem, right? Now you get a car that's a tenth too slow, and picking up a tenth of one of those cars is not like you're doing it in a bracket car. No, so. I mean, we've seen that migration of Pro 275 because of the escalation of performance, vertical escalation of performance in radio versus the world. What needs to happen in, in Pro 275, in my opinion, is that class should never be quicker than the 70s. It I, shouldn't. Bu- I buy that for a dollar. It just shouldn't be because one, you're just going to go right down the same road. And then, yes, you then have LDR. Well, I mean, most of the stuff won't even fit in LDR anymore. So really, when you get to... What is the the step past 275? You know there isn't one right now. Somebody will make one up uh, pro 275, but there really isn't one at the moment. So I feel like if you keep that class somewhere in the 70s, um, it's going to have a good long life. Yeah, and that again, that's going to be to the point. And again, being in the position where I've been on a team where we've been flirting with doing stuff that's going to win us lead trophies and other problems, that you have to be smart as a racer i mean it it goes against everything in your mind but you got to look and go if i done do this it's going to make things harder more expensive later yeah and and the you know the inevitability is someone is going to do it you know and in whatever class you're talking about you know manny running in the you know teens now but almost the mid-teens in the next 275 cars an example or anybody else has set a record that's the nature of the business you got to show up and try to and try to win try to try to beat every opponent on the grounds it just ends up becoming a zero-sum game and you know i'm not saying it's bad i'm just saying that this is an inevitability of heads up racing and and to do it in an era that we're doing it now where we have the ability to make these racetracks just incredible and we have the ability to fine-tune engines and suspensions and torque converters and chassis in the way that no one has ever had before you know you're seeing what happens when you're able to do all that stuff to the max and you know, I don't have an answer for it, and it's 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 the reason why you know it's the reason why people spend five million dollars a year running the top fuel dragster. That's the ultimate example of this, right? You've taken something and you've taken it to the ultimate level, and that's why it's five million a year to do that. And that's why we have you know maybe two dozen top fuel dragsters in the United States or thirty of them. Um, I I don't want to see I don't want to see the top end radial drag racing go that way quickly. But ultimately, Radio vs. the World, you know, yes, I know there's a couple new cars coming out, and they are fantastic, um, but it is not like it was in terms of people building stuff. No, no, I remember when it was like the the field was a legit 40 to 50, like, Radio vs. the World cars. Now it's 40 to 50 cars, but maybe half of them are actual Radio vs. the World cars. Yeah, and it's, listen, it's an ungodly show. I mean, it's, to me, it's, you know, it's the... It's an anomaly in the era of modern drag racing where you really don't know how quick something can go anymore. Like you don't, you don't know. Like where is this going to stop? I don't. Obviously, I don't think three forty eight is the quickest anybody can go. Um, uh, you know, it is just uh, an amazing thing. We don't have anything else in the sport that's quite like that anymore. And yes, we do see every once in a while, you know. Uh, Incredible runs when you know Brittany goes 362 in a top fuel or stuff like that jumps out of the woodwork every now and again. But on a regular basis, you know, a class like Radio Versa World or Pro 275 now um, is really kind of rewriting history on the regular as opposed to as a you know anomaly. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely interesting to see that you know I've I've asked people before you know what do you think the the last great records are coming up the fall and it's with radio racing it's just you can't predict it because you don't know how people are going to take this little nugget of knowledge or technology and make it do something crazy because that's really what it's coming down to with what these guys are figuring out now is they've ref- they keep finding ways to refine what they've learned 
and execute on it in ways that you just you never imagine. Yeah, they're picking at it, and uh, they keep picking at it a little bit more, a little bit more, and the incremental gains are what uh, are what are getting people to where they're at. So yeah, no, it's 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 an amazing thing to watch. It really is. And what's cool to me is I, I call it the NASA effect. It's that technology trickle down where what you saw on the bleeding edge, you know, it's not that it's getting diluted, but it's getting ways for it to be used in other classifications normally. See, I was watching a video on FuelTech's YouTube channel today. They had a freaking super gas, you know, C7 on the dyno that had, you know, a FuelTech FT550, every sensor known to man on that thing, shock sensors, the whole deal. And that's on a super gas car. You know, there's ten thousand plus dollars worth of gear on that thing, which it's awesome, but it's crazy that it's finding it down to that level now. It really, uh, it really is. And you know, we look at um, I, I announced that SFG Million race up there in uh, up there in Michigan this year, and you know, those cars, like you said, they have data acquisition all over them. They have guys that can drive them to just their their own. The, the biomechanical end of drag racing in that part of the sport is astonishing where these guys are able to, to set cars up to leave within a couple thousands. They know what they're going to do there. And then they can drive the stripe at a hundred and whatever, 70 miles an hour, 150 miles an hour in the eighth, maybe. Um, and they can drive it within a couple thousand there and know they're doing it not by accident. No, they're doing it because one, they've done it so often, but two, they also have the ability to go back and look at the runs in ways that no other bracket racer has ever had before. Yeah, let's let's shift gears and talk about that for a second. What was it like to go to a spectacle like that where that's literally like that's like something out of a movie where you have every badass character known to man in bracket racing shows up at one place to throw down. What was that like? It, uh, for me personally, it was intimidating um, to a degree because, uh, you know, everybody there um, – Everybody there knows exactly what they're doing. They know what they're there for. They know why they're there. They know what they're trying to do. Um, and it was it was intimidating for the first day or two to kind of get into a groove. And it was it was an awesome thing to watch. I mean, uh, I've never been to one of those uh, high stakes bracket races like that. Never uh, been to one of them in person. And when you the way that they run the cars, the efficiency they run the races with, the fact that you're going to have a 600 car first round, and then you're going to have like a 300 some car buyback round, or you're going to have double entries, so you're actually going to have like a 700 something car first round. Beyond anything I've ever seen, they run an excellent program, and it was um, it was a very memorable race. There were long days, of course, but it was amazing to watch Steve Cisco win a million dollars on one pass. Yeah, it like the. The sheer level of brutality that those guys enact on each other at both ends of the track, it's fun to watch, and I'm glad that I don't have to be in the other lane taking that beating because those guys just – there are no – there is no mercy shown. Absolutely not, and they uh, – nor would they want it. It's just the way – you know, it's like they all show up for the job to do, and, and so many of those guys actually do this for a living. Um, it's amazing. Yeah, that's, you know, I asked Frank Holly on the podcast, I was like, dude, what what class would you want to run besides, you know, what you've ran? He said, I want to learn how to be a badass bracket racer, pretty much. I'm like, that's, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, that's a lot coming from somebody that's driven the Chi-Town Hustler. You want to learn how to bracket race like that? That to me, I was like, that's a mic drop moment for bracket racing right there. Oh, absolutely, yes. Yeah, and it's, you got to have, um, you got to have the utmost respect for what those guys do, and it was it was really fun to watch, to, to be a part of that and to witness it and to kind of be uh, involved in the event was, was really, really good. Yeah, it's to me, bracket racing is the greatest thing to participate in, but unfortunately, like from a spectator standpoint... Oh, yeah, it's not a spectator sport. No, no, no it's definitely, yeah, it's to me, it's like golf. It's a game yeah. of, you know, the equipment plays a certain part, but the, the mental side of bracket racing and the preparation that those guys put into those cars and to be able to be that consistent is just, it's unreal. Yep, it was, uh, it was definitely something I, I'm grateful to have witnessed in person and kind of really get it now in terms of what those events are about. It was cool. Yeah, it's, it, it's something like that. Again, it's awesome to, to check off a bucket list. And, you know, let's take a look, you know, set the table a little bit you know you get to go to, to to florida this weekend for the gators is it weird going back to saying oh i'm going to the gators again yeah this will be the second time yeah i did go i actually got all the way to orlando the first time and then they canceled the race and i flew home the next day and then sat at home like the rest of us did for months on end um so yeah it's great to be back down there it's certainly different to be doing it at this time of the year but i mean all of us are excited to 
not that we wanted to leave Indy because I think all of us sort of anywhere we can race, we want to race, but um, it's cool to get back on the road a little bit, go to a place that uh, we know is uh, a beloved racetrack with a very dedicated fan base. And um, yeah, it's going to be great, man. Between Stevie winning the U S nationals, getting the points lead in Mod trying to come there, Beckman uh, fighting off TJ and, and Hagen on the, the funny car side. You got Jason line and Erica and Jaggy and pro stock. And, um, in top field, you got Doug Coletta either hanging on for dear life or hopefully trying to make some, some room for himself between Lee and Torrance. Yeah. You know, let's, let's look at that first with, uh, you know, with pro mod and Stevie, you know, that he has proven, I think now that he is not the person you, you don't want to be chasing him and you don't want to be chased by him because he's going to do everything he can to win up to and including driving across the stripe upside down and on fire. Yeah, there is a level of fearlessness to him that's intimidating to other people, and, I, and you can see it, um, especially in the fact that he's not only fearless in, in many ways, but he's also an incredibly skilled driver. So you watch him on a typical race day, and maybe he's 20 or 30 first round, and then he goes into the team second round, and then he finally normally is finding himself with an O or double O light occasionally um, in the uh, semis or in finals. I mean, he was 009 in the final at Indy. And to me, it's very fun to watch him race on a Sunday because not that he does reckless things, but you can literally watch him kind of lock into a program behind the wheel and, and tighten it every single lap he makes. It's really cool. Yeah. And he, he's proven he can win from anywhere on the ladder. So it's not a matter of you know, always having an off weekend. No, there's no such thing as an off weekend. It's just he hasn't quite figured out. He, they haven't put everything together, and you don't want to be on the receiving end of when he does. Yeah, that's it. And you look at guys, you know, Clint Satterfield is a really good race car, and uh, he was leading, actually, in that run um, against Stevie, but the engine gave up late in the run. And I, I talked to Stevie about that during the during the weekend, and, um, you know, everybody gives him their best shot. He knows he's going to get it, and they all throw their best shot at him. And that also makes him better, I think, because, you know, no matter who he, he is sitting next to, he's getting their best. Yeah, and it again it make it makes for for some great racing, and you know kind of sticking with things that, with doors. Then we have you know Pro Stock, you know the log jam at the top right now, that's kind of terrifying. Between Erica, Jed Coughlin Jr. and Jason Lyon, you got two guys getting ready to call it a career, for the most part. So they're going to do everything they can to win. And oh by the way, you've got to go through the most gangster chick ever to drive a door car, Erica Enders. That's going to be yeah. that, that. This is a fight I want to watch. Well, this is a fun uh, little tidbit I came across setting up my uh, notes and research and stuff for this race. So if you combined Jeg, Erica, and Jason over the last three years at Gainesville, you come up with an interesting number, which is the number one, which is the combined number of round wins the three of them have at the last over the last three years at this race. So somebody is going to have to break away from the pack and none of these people have had good luck at this place for the last three years. So to me, that's going to be really fun to watch. Like who can kind of break the hex that uh, this track has had on them. Yeah. That's, that's again, that's one of those stats that you, uh, you don't think you'd necessarily, that you read that. You're like, really? Is that real? Yeah, it seems impossible. I had to actually physically, I had it in some data I was going through. Then I went back and physically looked and yet yeah, they've all had, uh, They've all had a case of the yips at, uh, at Gainesville. That's definitely going to be, again, like you said, interesting, especially with the way the season's going because, you know, every round counts. So yes. they've, you know, you can't have that happen at this event or you're going to be, you know, on the outside looking in at the wrong time. Craziness. Absolute craziness. You know, and then you got Funny Car and Jack – Man, Jack, I'm pulling for him. Not gonna lie, that that's the dude that you want to see pull it off this year. I think. Yeah, I think so too. For a bunch of reasons, obviously, Infinite Hero uh, programs over this year, and they're they're still looking for funding for next year. So there is a potential finality uh, to that for him. So you want him for that reason. The guy's a good dude. It's, uh, he's a student of the game. He is a champion already, but uh, for him, I think two-time champion fits his resume and his legacy a lot better than than single-time champion. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, again, it's the cool thing about Funny Car this year is that you, you've seen a lot of people pop off runs when you least expect it. So it's not something where it's a, a, a sign sealed and delivered, especially when you, you got someone like, you know, Matt Hagen standing behind you with the 28 inch pythons. 
Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yes, that is a, it's it's a group of people that you know when especially you look at Matt and you look at you look at TJ and even Ron Capsis and Jr. Todd have kind of tried to been resurgent lately. Um, if you fall down, they will run over you, and they're not going to look twice. So, yeah, there is a uh, zero margin of error to have uh, in the funny car category. That's a fact. Yeah, and like you said, those are all top-tier teams that could go on an absolute tear at any point. And I think that's, again, to me, it's it's what makes just funny car interesting in general because those things aren't like a, you know, a nice luxury car to drive. You're, you are fighting that thing like a caged animal down the track. And it just it adds that extra air of unpredictability to the class. It does, uh, you know, and obviously they have their battles of staging and everything else more so than anybody else does. So, yeah, funny car in terms of a driver effect uh, on a Sunday, I think there's no doubt about it that uh, Nitro Funny Car has a more driver dependent result every Sunday in Pro Stock. Uh, maybe one or two there because of the fact that the pro stock driver is so active in terms of shifting the car. But yeah, you, you see more you see more runs won or lost in Nitro Funny Car in, in pro stock than on driver mistake and or ability than you do in maybe any other category. Yeah, and like you said, that it, it's what makes the car interesting, and you know it, it kind of is. Well, it's why you know on a slight tangent, you know, top alcohol funny cars, one of my favorite freaking classes to watch, because again, they're just, they're angry vehicles that you have to really stay on top of, or they, they teach you a lesson in a hurry. They do. They will humble, uh, they will humble very talented drivers in a, in a hurry. And, you know, see, he's driving one of those. Now he's driving Jim Whiteley's or, or any Whiteley's car at some of the Midwest drag racing series events. And he's loving that experience for the simple fact that uh, it keeps him, very busy behind the wheel. He said it's a totally different sensation. He said even though the radial car is faster, the funny car feels a lot faster because of how busy he has to be behind the wheel. Yeah, it's like driving a go-kart. You think you're going a million miles an hour because you're sitting on the ground and you have to stay. <laughs> you're exactly. staying busy. Now, top fuel, Doug Coletta is, you know, I'm pulling for that dude. You know, he's leading. He's the to me, he's like this, just this elder statesman that, you know, after, you know, what happened to him at Pomona with Schumacher years ago, it's like, you don't want to say that he deserves it, but man, he just, he kind of does. Yeah, I think he does. I think that, um, I think there's nobody in drag racing, even some of his opponents that don't, you know, are kind of pulling for him silently, maybe, you know, the one thing, um, the one thing he needs to be cognizant of, and I know that he is is, you know, so you got Steve Torrance kind of looming back there, and Torrance has certainly not had a Torrance-esque uh, run of races. They had a very early for them exit at, uh, at the U.S. Nationals. Um, you got Justin Ashley back there who's just driving like a like a madman. He's averaging a 40 light on Sundays, which is better than the majority of the pro stock field in terms of average reaction time. And, uh, of course, you got Leah. And Leah's car right now running second in the points is as strong as anybody. And, you know, I think – I think people might lose Leah a little bit in this battle because they see Doug and they see Steve and they maybe forget she's in the middle there, but her car has been as capable as either of theirs. And the real, really it was one or two races. The only reason that Doug has the points lead anymore in, in some sense over Leah is just his, he has outperformed her by a round or two in a couple of different races. It's uh, it's incredibly close. Oh, he, he's incredibly consistent. Like you said, you cannot let having Leah Pruitt sit there in second place that again is something that you got to weigh heavily in your mind. Not only is Doug like, you know, I got to make sure I pay attention to her. And Steve's like, man, I got to try to get past her because she's scrappy. She kicks bites and claws for everything yeah. she has. And that's that that's that's that X factor that sometimes the racers don't understand. It can be hard to overcome. It is. Uh, she has a lot of emotional toughness, and she's driven this year way more consistently than we have seen her in terms of uh, overall Sunday performances. She's not getting uh, wound up. She's not kind of losing herself in the moment. She's definitely locked it down. She's stepped up a couple of times. She's matched guys like Doug. She's matched guys like Steve when she's needed to on the starting line, and uh, it's been fun to watch. And, you, you know, the funny thing about Doug Coletta is, like, you get people that can drive damn near anything, and he's one of those dudes, like, I've seen, you know, he raced dirt track stuff, but I had no idea he won a USAC championship until I uh, I did some Googling. Yeah, and the story of his USAC championship was kind of incredible. When he won that thing, um, he passed Tony Stewart on the last lap of the last race to win the championship. So 
you know, he uh, had a unique feeling when, you know, he lost the championship to Schumacher on during the run at, at Pomona those years ago because he basically did the same thing to Tony to Tony Stewart in a dirt car, which is unbelievable. And Doug is Doug's such like a buttoned down kind of quiet spoken guy in front of a camera. I can tell you that there are kind of two Doug Colettas and, and the Doug Coletta in front of a camera is obviously very professional, very kind of locked down. And you'd never suspect that this guy would have the you know, kind of temerity to, to take out Tony Stewart in a race like that. But, yeah, he was an incredible dirt racer and a, and a USAC champ. Yeah, I mean, Doug looks like the kind of guy that would do my taxes. Not Right. <laughs> he really does. Not, yeah, he not, does. not rip around the, the lip of a dirt track or, you know, wheel a top fuel dragster, which, again, you know, it's – he said you go back and you watch some of those old races with him, and, I mean, he could flat out drive, which that was pretty awesome. It really is, and I, I honestly think that uh, there are times in his top fuel career that we have seen like some of those same instincts. I mean, there was a, a year in Topeka where he like got he got a dragster, I mean, way sideways, and he pedaled the car in a way that I think probably only he could. But he was definitely like employing some of those old uh, tactics and techniques. But yeah, he's he's great. He's a he's a great guy, and um, I just like watching him race because he can be when he is on which he is most weekends it's like flawless you know the car's not doing anything weird he is just right there all the time and you know the the biggest compliment you give a guy like Doug Coletta is he does everything the same way the same time he does not roll the car in he's not, when you when you see Doug go go a 50 go a 40 it's an honest 40 or 50 light he's not staging the thing with the you know with the header so to speak yeah and you know that's what I think always makes in my opinion you a, a run passes the eye test when it it's fast when it looks smooth. And that's one yeah. of the things he does is his runs just look like, Oh, that's not, Oh wait, look at that. You know, you get that kind of reaction. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, he's just a, he's a technician. I guess that's the best way to say it. And, you know, he is a guy who has been the standard bearer for reaction time, obviously for the class for several years, Sam and Sean Langdon and Tron kind of in that same group. And, um, you know, we mentioned it before, but you get Justin Ashley right now, who is averaging a 40 light during competition. And, he is averaging a 40 light, and when you look at his 60-foot times, because everyone goes, well, how deep is he staging it? And the answer is not very, because his 60-foot times are equal or better than some of the other cars we see out there, and these are honest lights. And, you know, you talk to a guy like Sean Langdon, and, you know, Sean Langdon has all the pride in the world of his ability because of his sports and racing and everything. And he'll, he's the first one to tell you that, you know, Ashley's changing the game to some degree because – Reaction time game at Top Fuel really did change with the class of Langdon and the class of Antron Brown. You know, you had this little clump of guys that arrived in kind of the same era, the same moment in time, so to speak, and they're the ones that raised everybody's game up. And now you got Ashley, and who Langdon admits publicly, he says, this guy's pushing me now. And I, Sean right now is averaging a 56 light. He's normally a 62 to 64 guy on average. So even he is stepping up to the plate, and it's, um, it's a really fun thing to watch. And again, what makes that so interesting to me is like fuel cars react differently than any other vehicle at the starting line. So it it's not something you could just jump in and go, oh, I'm just going to let go of the button and let this thing fly. That ain't how it works, son. No, it isn't. It is not. And, you know, you have a car that in, in pro stock, obviously, you're leaving um, you're leaving at, R at RPM. Um, in a nitro car, you're leaving off of idle. And, you know, we can look at, Justin Ashley's 040 average, and we can compare it to what the pro stock field looks like. And I actually have this in front of me. I'm going to pull it up right now, um, just from stuff we've been putting together. So if we look at pro stock car average reaction time over the course of the season right now, he would be second. Greg Anderson is averaging a 33. He would be in, uh, I'm sorry, he would be third in the class in pro stock with his reaction time right now in a top fuel car. <laughs> that's just like, that's, a, that's, a, that's out of his mind. That's Xbox mode right there. It is absolutely is fun to watch. Yeah, speaking of watch, you know it, it's it's been a crazy year across the board, and you you know your position with the NHRA is kind of an interesting one, and this year with the NHRA has been like, dude, it's been like a Mexican soap opera. It's just like, <laughs> yeah, what is going to happen next? The you know the first thing I want to touch on because I think they're kind of intertwined in a way is the purse cutting because that happened and people lost their minds. And I think in my opinion, part of the problem is that people don't un like, they just want to bash the NHRA and yeah. 
they don't understand what all go like they just don't put on races it's a i mean as much as it is a business there's a lot to go into this yeah and you know it's impossible to sit and talk to him and say oh it's a good thing we cut the purses it is not i mean i'm not here to say that i would never say that it is not a good thing to cut the purses but it's not a good thing to have to lay off employees. It's not a good thing to have to make adjustments to, to how people are, are doing their jobs, who's doing what jobs. None of these things are good things, but they're necessary things. And, you know, I, you know, what do you do? It's a business. And if you own a company and your options are, okay, I can either make some layoffs here or the entire thing goes out or whatever, uh, you've got to make these decisions. And, you know, the one thing I think people, I was talking to a guy about this earlier this week. It's like, if for some reason, drag racers, drag racing fans, we have this like built-in inferiority complex, and I don't know where it comes from. I think I think it's rooted somewhere in our you know outlaw DNA from back in the day. But you know, people think, okay, well, this is it. You know, any trades cut the first if they're going out of business. Well, no, any trade is a company that doesn't have any debt. Okay, any trade has been a company that's been very conservatively financially managed for a long time. And that's one of the things people yell about. It's like, well, here's, you're not paying enough money. I would love for everybody to win a hundred thousand, 200, 300,000 a race. I would love that. Just not feasible. And um, the, at the end of the day is the, the, the reason that NHRA is not uh, in a position to go out of business or in a position to fold up anytime soon. And that includes with the recent announcement from Coke is because they have been very tight with the purse strings. And, you know, you can look at, you know, people publish the salaries of the executives, right? They publish the executive salaries. That's a big thing. Like these guys are all making this money. One of the most recent things that came out with all the people's salaries on it, the trade paid out $25 million in purse money over the course of that year. So it was $25 million paid out the year that whatever the latest meme of the people's salaries are came out, which is ancient, by the way. But they paid out $25 million over the course of that season in, in, in prize money. So cutting the purses, you have to make decisions for your, your long-term good. And it's not good for the racers. I get that. If you look at the way the purse cuts were made, the pro stock money went up $100 in the first round. The, the fuel money went down about 500 bucks in the first round. The, per, the main cut came from the very top of the purse, which you could hide it elsewhere. If you wanted to cut money out of the bottom, you could hide it there pretty easily. But the reality is the people that need the money the most are the people that are first round losers typically. Yeah. And so I'm not saying any of it's good. I'm not, I would never celebrate cutting of a purse. I would never never celebrate having a racer get less for doing the same job. But I also wouldn't celebrate a company that would just make reckless decisions and pretend like there was no negative harm or negative, no negative effect of this, of this whole thing and just, and spend themselves into oblivion. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me either. Yeah. That, again, it, you know, it, it from business training, you know, I've been a manager myself and, you know, the B word, the budget word, people like when you are not part of the decision making process and seeing what's going on, it is super easy to throw stones like <laughs> and I think social media makes it even worse. And, you know, th there's no way to get around it. The NHRA has done some things that some people don't agree with, some things that I don't agree with. But you know sure. what? You cannot make everybody happy. That's life. And newsflash, there was this time before the internet. I swear it exists, Brian. I swear it exists. <laughs> like, you know, even back in the, by God, the 80s. And family friends that raced with the NHRA back in the 80s, guess the F what? The NHRA did stuff that made people mad back then. <laughs> they didn't treat people right. This is, you know... I'm not going to say it's not a new feeling. It happens. Racers, I know this from experience. I love racers. I love to be a racer. But by God, some people complain way too much. And they just, they need to, to soothe, they need to soothe the boobs. They need to calm down and just let it ride a little bit. I think, you know, everybody's got the right to their opinion and stuff like that. The only thing, oh, yeah. you know, the only, the only thing that, 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 that bothers me or did bother me because I've, I've honestly, the, this year has been good for me in a, in a mental place because I've really backed off. Um, I backed off on social media a lot because I, I just don't, you know, I don't need to see it. I don't need to hear about it. I don't need to, you know, um, but to your point, it's one thing 
to have an opinion on something and everybody does. And I have opinions on things like you do as well. Um, I get all that. I just, I just will never understand for anybody. And this goes for even recent events within the sport. When you, when you get to dogpile, right? You see, you see people get dogpiled on whoever it is. If there's a race or somebody doesn't like a promoter, something happens at a race and 600 people dogpile this one particular person. And it's like, you want to sit there and go, Hey man, like you realize you could be next. And that's the one thing uh, a lot of people maybe don't think about on social media or, or don't care about. It, and that's fine too. But it's like, if you're going to be the one driving the bus over somebody, then be prepared when the bus backs over you someday. Oh, totally. And, and it's, um, it's been healthy for me to go, you know what? I'm not even involving myself in these things anymore. Cause I don't, I don't want to be in that position. And, um, I know what I know from my, my job. I don't, uh, you know, I'm not, uh, you know, the accountant of the National Hot Rod Association, but um, I do know that I have a lot of trust in the leadership. I have a lot of trust in the position the company's in. And, you know, I think even with the recent announcement, you know, the Coca-Cola thing took everybody by surprise. It was a huge shock. You know, that was a, a shocking thing that obviously had been materializing slowly behind the scenes, but we, we certainly heard about it uh, basically the day before we're making this podcast. And immediately we were, you know, involved in uh, communications, involved in calls with the NHRA and, and conversations being had. And it's like, this isn't the end of the NHRA. Like, do not, you know, do not uh, run out in the streets and, uh, you know, tear your clothes off and go running down the street. You know, there, there's an organization here that's been around for 50 plus years that has a footing underneath it. And I'm, I'm happy with that. There's a foundation under the company. And I just don't understand why people root, root, root failure for anybody. I don't root failure for any racetracks. I don't root, fa root failure for any racers. Um, and I just, I fail to understand the, the reason some people would take some sort of a, a pride in uh, throwing rocks through the windows, you know? Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, God forbid if the NHRA did fold, it would be, like, I don't even think there's a way to really quantify how catastrophic that would be because it's more than just an organization that puts on races you know there's the sanctioning body there's the insurance portion of it there is so much bad that would happen from this and you know i mean i hate to sound talk out of turn about someone but what to think the ihra is going to take over you know it's yeah it, it, you're right and I, you know it's one of those things honestly that i, I don't I don't know what the actual calculation is. I really don't because like you said, it's, it's, it goes beyond, um, it certainly goes well beyond, uh, you know, simply putting out some national events. You have uh, obviously divisional racing and everything else. And you have the sanction of racetracks and insurance policies. And you got a lot of stuff there that's, that's been created over 50 years. And, and, you know, the main interest, uh, the main interest of NHRA, no matter what anybody wants to yell about on Facebook or whatever, is honestly to be the kind of steward of the sport. And, you know, if the company's going to be around to do it. That's a fact. And, you know, this whole uh, you know, Marcos uh, camping world thing that has come up, I mean, this is happening the same day we're making this podcast. This is crazy. And, and they're literally talking to this guy right now. And, again, the other thing I see people – you know, on the Dragzine Facebook page, we posted up about this and they talked about, you know, how horrible this is and how is anybody going to want to get involved with the NHRA? Um, you know, everybody also seems to forget that the NHRA just inked a big TV deal. And from a sponsor point of view, that's something that's, you know, a big positive is there's a lot of things that are more positive than what people realize and, you know, you know, they use the phrase, maybe it's a blessing in disguise. Who knows? But, yeah, the whole end of the world thing. And I saw this camping world thing. At first, I thought it was a joke. Then I looked into it. I'm like, all right, well, this might be interesting. Yeah, it's um, it's way beyond that one tweet already. I can tell you that. I, I don't, again, have I'm not in the room for any of these conversations, but uh, it's a it's a real thing that apparently has some uh, some some uh, great momentum behind it in terms of the two parties uh, having spoken and stuff. Um, yeah, you know, the TV deal is a huge part of this. I, I look at what was accomplished in that Fox deal. It's, it's a deal that's going to take us through the middle of, uh, this decade run right now. So it is, uh, it's, you know, I can tell you it's more than three years and less than 10 years. Um, and I can tell you that our number of races to be shown live on the actual Fox broadcast network doubles. Uh, we go from four network races to eight a year, which, you know, is basically a third of our season will be able to be seen on live broadcast television, which is a huge deal for us. 
And then um, the third level the, is the fact that, you know, at minimum one time a year, we're going to be either ahead of or following uh, a Fox NFL Sunday broadcast, an afternoon game. So uh, that in and of itself, when we have that, that broadcast next year that either leads up to or follows the NFL game, will be beyond any shadow of a doubt the largest audience to have ever watched the drag race in history. Because if you look at what Fox does with a, a normal NFL game, um, you're talking six to eight, sometimes eight to 10 million people, depending on what the teams are that are playing. And you look at our broadcast and we come in one and a half, 1.7 million per show, which I feel like is, is great for our, our little sport. Um, but we're going to be putting that ahead of in front of an audience that's four to five times larger than that right off the bat. So, um, and there's actually some interesting talk about how that race may be run. If it's going to be an evening race, maybe we push eliminations back. So we have final rounds under lights. You know, there's, there's a lot of conversation going on. And to me, you know, I usually try to keep myself, you know, in in the world for the most part where my words can be, you know, screenshot and used against me in the court of law. You know, I try to be professional. You know, I try to look at things, you know, and try to be even keeled. But I'm going to go a little bit off script here, what I normally do. I'm going to get a little bit fired up and get your take on this. I think all of this needs to be taken into consideration by our fans and the racers and everybody else. And we need to be more positive as a, a collective. We need to stop some of this insanity we see online. And we need to find a way to push this sport because we're all in this together. And, you know, being a savage online, yeah, that'll get you some cool internet points. But that does not help the sport overall. Yeah, I just I look at I look at the fan bases. I look at the way the fan bases of other motorsports react to stuff. Whether you're an IMSA fan or an IndyCar fan or an NASCAR fan, um, you know when when Roger Penske was like, "Hey, I got to cut the purse of the Indy 500 in half." Uh, I didn't see a single person like, "Well, that's it. IndyCar is over." F IndyCar. I saw a lot of people like, thank God we're having a race and this guy's great. And again, I'm not celebrating the fact that he cut the purse or that NHRA cut the purse. It's just the, the generalized reaction is is always so bizarrely negative. And maybe it only is a small portion of people that are yelling out loud. And that's the and that's the difference. And I feel like it may be the difference because if it actually was, in fact, um, the re the real uh, basis of our fan base that was reacting this way we wouldn't have a million plus people watching on Sundays when we're on Fox. We wouldn't have um, a Gainesville race that's at limited capacity that is effectively going to be sold out of limited capacity before we open the gate. We wouldn't have those type of things going on if um, if the prevailing winds of Facebook were the actual people that were fans of us. Yeah. And, you know, I, I definitely see that, you know, as a point that's 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 a very good thing. But more what I'm looking at is these spot. You know, we always hear people screaming about sponsors and not of sponsors. Well, if I'm getting ready to clunk down a whole bunch of money to give the John Force to go real fast, you're going to investigate the product, and you start doing a little bit of social media research, and you're going to see this and be like, "Well, why the hell do I want to give this Yahoo a few million dollars if the people are like, you know, what's it like?" And I think that's yeah. more of, I guess, what I'm looking at here is the, f- from Straight the. Point. Yeah, from the from the pragmatic standpoint, it's and it's exactly like what you said. The people on the other side of the fence don't complain as much. That we just need to kind of, kind of cut that out a little bit. You know, it's just like I said. It just it doesn't create fans like you think it would. And, and the opinion, like the opinions and the conversations, are I will have them all day long. I just I just don't I just don't tolerate somebody who's just going to be a jackass. You know what I mean? Like if you're just going to just blurt some stuff out and have no sort of basis for it or just what you think of some you know wacko conspiracy theory type of thing i got no time for that but if you're a fan of drag racing and you're like why is this happening or what's going on here i don't agree with this that's cool like we can talk about that all day long because like you said i mean there's stuff that happens in any trade that i don't i don't agree with but i don't make the decision like you know it's like uh the guy running the fry later is not the guy who orders the cheeseburgers at mcdonald's it's a two different jobs <laughs> you know what i mean it's a whole different program yeah um so yeah i i agree i agree with you and and What's funny is, you know, I use Donald Long as an example. A friend of mine obviously worked for uh, worked for him to do his races and worked for a bunch of different promoters doing different races outside of the NHRA. And, um, you know, you, you 
you look at the kind of theatrical nature that Donald can get into over the, over some of this stuff. And I mean, there are people that there are people that just absolutely despise the guy. And um, I talk to him a lot and it's like, man, it's getting ugly out there. You know, it's getting ugly, but it's for some reason, it's a different thing. You know, it's almost like people understand like there may be uh, a more kind of show element to that type of thing versus, you know, with HRA, it's just like, they feel like everything, you know, the, the wind changes direction and the company's going to be gone. It's like, HRA survives, uh, let's see, uh, the gas crisis of the 70s, uh, the Vietnam War, uh, the economic crisis uh, of the 2000s, uh, the death of Wally Parks, the retirement of Don Garlis, the retirement of Don the Snake Perdome, the retirement of Sherman Muldowney, uh, locusts, boils, uh, you know, it, it's it's not going away, guys. You know, I don't, I don't know why you'd want it to. You know, the, I always tell people I have the coolest job on earth because I get to experience all areas of drag racing and you know i go to i've been to a lot of donald's races been to nhra races and i have to always explain to people they are it's the same concept not the same execution you go to an nhra race and from a media standpoint they tell you where you can stand how long you can stand there and how you're supposed to stand that's the rules of the game nothing wrong with that it's a different kind of organization you go to an outlaw race and it's pretty much just don't stand on the track most places right, right. and uh, yeah, have a good day. Yeah. It's, it's completely different animals, which I think is again, what makes drag racing such an, an interesting dynamic. And to your point about Donald, him and Jim need to go back to doing the WWF style videos. Facebook live <laughs> is fun. Those are great. But, dude, those videos, like, people need to go back and really watch those to connect all the dots to understand that at some point he just needs to look at the camera and go, why so serious? <laughs> then it might all click for them. Yeah, it's and, you know, to me, I think one of the things that I really love um, and that I've always really tried to do is, like, try to bridge some of those gaps. I've always felt that was important for me. Like, you know, when I got the, uh, the, the the job that I have now with the NHRA and Fox play-by-play -play thing, all these people are like, well, you'll never do another Donald's race. It's like, no, they, they are totally okay with me doing that. You know, you'll never do this again. No, I actually will do that again. They're totally okay with me doing that. Guys like Glenn Cromwell understand the value of having somebody that actually steps across the party lines a little bit. And, you know, I think that there's value of it for me personally because I love all different styles of racing, but there's also a value of being a type of guy that can – you know, sit in a room and say, you guys are missing the boat totally on this because you know, I see what's going on around you. You guys see what's going on in here. And I can tell you why this is a mistake or this is a good idea. Yeah, totally. And like you said, it's, it's good to be exposed to all areas of it. Like I used to think no prep, I say this all the time. I thought no prep was stupid until I went to a no prep race and then the light came on. And now I'm like, if there's a local no prep race, they do a lot of the backwards racing stuff here up the track because, yeah. you know, they have the room and they can do it safely. It's like, yeah, I want to go absolutely check that out because you see some cool stuff this year for, you know, for horsepower a 10K shootout was no prep. And let me tell you what, people are going to be blown away by what they see on race day because it, yeah, it's awesome. you get to see people that teams that do both do some really cool things and again it's it's being able to cross those lines and and like appreciate all forms of racing yeah it's um you know at the end of the day for me it's if you're a person who is intolerant to learn anything or intolerant to accept anything outside of the norm um you're, you're learning yourself and it's like you're not a person i really want to spend a lot of time talking to because what you're not you're not interested you don't bring anything to the table so there are people that just out of hand you know right off the no prep thing and um, well, I can't say that I sit on my couch with a, you know, a, a Birdman pennant in my hand and watch the show. I can tell you that I respect everything that goes on there. I've met a lot of those guys. They're all 100% drag racers as much as anybody else ever has been. They are drag racers and it's just their chosen part of the sport. And, you know, for me, like to put a point on the whole thing, you know, I think the biggest lesson, the biggest thing that drag racing can use among itself to move ahead is to understand that we're not enemies. Like we all are racers. And so the fact that you like to do no prep, you like to run import face off. You like to run streetcar takeover. You like to run NHRA. You're a super gas guy and you're a small tire radio guy. What, why, why would anybody suspect that the other person was their enemy in this? You know, we don't exactly live in a climate uh, politically 
that is like great for you know people getting along these days so my god try to find some common ground with somebody out there right i mean it's crazy so i think the, the one thing to your point like the, we're all in this together thing is 100 percent cogent and accurate and i hope i lived to see the day where it is way less of the tribes fighting each other and the tribes kind of turning themselves into this kind of mighty nation that we actually are yeah, totally. You know, I I go out and try to support as many different local events as I can. You know, if I'm doing some, some media work, you know, I'll, I'll go in and do the work deal and grab the media credential. But if I'm going there just to do what I want to do, I'm paying the gate fee to support the local track, the lo- local deal. And just it, it's it's nice to go to a race sometimes just without an agenda per se. Oh, my God, it's so fun. It's yes. like you're a civilian. It's like, oh, don't you want to go take a picture of this? Not really. I, I kind of want to go crawl over that really cool looking Opal, you know, super comp call over there and ask that guy a bunch of questions, you yeah. know. And just, yeah, you're just going to be a dude. You're just going to be a guy at the racetrack. No, I, I uh, understand and love that 100%. Yes. And, and that's why I love going to dirt track races because it's like there I get to be a total tourist and just enjoy it for what it is. That's no, great. It is a great thing to like just go somewhere that um, – and. Again, obviously, like when you're there at the track and working, it's a whole different mentality. It's cool. It's intense. You're you got goals and things to achieve, but there are certain when the only goal is to get nachos and a beer, that is a good goal to have too. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Everybody thinks they're like, you look so angry when you're at the track. I'm like, well, I'm working. Like my mind is constantly thinking about the task at hand, the task I need to do next, the task after that. Paying attention to everything going on around me because that might change one of those tasks. You know, I might have to go talk to so and so, but they might burn their car to the ground, so that might be an issue that I got to go like address right away. You know, there's there's a lot more to it than just you know showing up and flaunting around and taking a few pictures. Absolute and utter facts. Yes. Well, we're getting towards the end of the show here, and I, I want you to pull out your magical eight ball and crystal ball or okay. other prediction device. And okay. first question, and I probably already know the answer to this, but I want to get you on the record for this. Are we going to see a 40 this year on a radial tire? We're going to see, yes, we are going to see a 40 this year. I'm not going to pin down the race, though, but we are going to see it this year. Yeah, would agree. Will there be an unexpected NHRA champion this year? So, someone that someone that's going to pull something out in the points right now. Do you think that's not number one? That's going to just pull it I off. I am going. I am going to say yes, only because I do have, and I'm going to maintain this information in my back pocket. I do have a little bit of information in my back pocket about somebody that was not going to make the full poll and is this year now. And that that person in a professional category does have the wherewithal to to uh, to level the field, let's say. So let's uh, yeah. So I'm going to say yes on that. Yes. So that means we need to stay tuned, film at eleven, make sure you're watching all the NHRA <laughs> stuff because Loans has yeah. got Loans has got some juiced up news in the back pocket. I like it. Yep. And finally, what do you think when it's all said and done? You know. Have we already seen like the most epic race of the year, or do you think one of Donald's races is just going to do something crazy? The World Street Finals, or even the even the Home Run Derby, you know that Miller's putting on, are one of those races going to do something that's going to be a jaw dropping moment? You know, I think this question could be answered a couple ways. One, I think that um, it it depends because. It depends on what you're, as a fan of the sport or what you follow, it depends on this is the answer. So if you are a traditional, you know, NHRA fan and you went to the U.S. Nationals, you watched it, do we see the NHRA season peak there in terms of craziness? I don't think so. Um, If you're a radial tire drag racing fan and you paid very close attention to the shakedown, did we see a peak there? In some ways, I think we may have seen... In terms of overall performance, maybe that peak was hit there just because of the weather. So if you're if you're strictly in love with those cars just for raw performance, you might have seen the ultimate raw performance race of the year at the shakedown. But uh, I would I would say that if you're a human interest style person like I am, and you're following the people as much as you are the cars, I don't think we have yet peaked because I feel I feel like with what's left on the slate for everything across the sport, there is still ample opportunity for some, uh, some big time upsets to happen in the small tire world. We're going to see um, 
J.R. Gray coming out with that new Radio Versus the World car, which should probably be coming off the trailer as a contender. That could be a shocking turn of events in that category. Um, so my answer is my answer is maybe, but probably not on all fronts. <laughs> you know, honestly, I like asking those quirky open-ended questions like that because it gives us our chance as media people to throw a lot of those like kind of interesting what-if scenarios out there and like kind of what we've drawn things in on. You know, but yeah. black and white questions, you know, yeah, they they can be fun. But it's in my opinion, when you get someone in front of like when I get someone like you in front of me, I want to ask those like opinionated questions, because, again, it, it comes down to you see so much stuff and you have a different take than what a lot of people are going to have. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't um, I don't uh, take that for granted. I love the fact that I get to see it, the, the kind of wide swath of the sport. And I, I wish that more people, especially the guys that just you know, breathe out of their mouth and yell dumb things on the internet, did the same thing because it would change, it would change your outlook on a lot of things. But, uh, no, I mean, I appreciate the work you guys do. Certainly, uh, speed video and, and flow racing. Now it's like, it's a great resource. It's a great thing. We had great audience, uh, sure seemed like a great audience watching the shakedown. And, uh, it is beyond a shadow of a doubt, no matter what anybody, the age of 55 and older tells you, this is the golden age of drag racing. There's more of it that you can see everywhere. There's more styles of it. There's more, cars that are doing things unheard of things listen you go to a streetcar takeover race you go to the one at indy this year this weekend i think it's happening or next weekend there will be guys that they are running faster than a top fuel dragster did uh in 1960 when they were in the u.s nationals or 61 when they're in the u.s nationals there so i respect the i beyond all i'm a you know i love kind of calling myself an amateur historian of the sport i love the history of drag racing but um the era that we are in is unparalleled in every way streetcar takeover gets my vote for the most underappreciated and under paid attention to event series in the country hands down been those guys yeah those guys are doing some really cool things participated in one of their events had an absolute blast been to one of them and hung out with one of my friends it's just amazing what those guys do that is like the best grassroots racing out there hands down and with a little bit of back pocket information as well, you mentioned the speed video flow racing thing. I can tell you there's going to be some really, really cool stuff that's being queued up for next year that is going to really change the game for, we'll say, just put it out there as non-NHRE level racing. It's going to be... It's great, man. It's great. It's going to be badass. But awesome. before we go here, I like to give you know every guest their opportunity to plug away where they can be found at. So, of course, I will give you that honor, and the floor is yours, Mr. Loans. Thank you, man. Now you can watch uh, NHRA on Fox on FS1 uh, for the rest of the season. We'll be racing in Gainesville this weekend. You can check your local listings for the times of our qualifying and elimination shows. And um, you can check me out on the Dorkomotive podcast. You can go to dorkomotive.com. It's a new project that I started up. And these are automotive and mechanical history and racing history podcasts. And um, they're all different topics. And I've been on a bit of a hiatus as the season got busy, but I set to crank out some more. So check them out and at bangshift.com. Awesome, Brian. Once again, thank you for your time and look forward to seeing you again soon. Thanks, Brian. Do well, man. Thank you. Well, that wraps up the show for this week. Thanks to Brian for stopping by. And as always, may your reaction times be crisp and your wind lights bright. Until next week, folks.